You said I'm muted? Oh. <clears throat> All right, and we are good to go here. Thank you for being brave. Oh, 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 yeah. All right, we're calling this meeting to order. So we started yes, on the bottom. Make sure the mics are on and ready. Oh, yeah. It's my butt right here. Every time shivers. Oh, Lord, I, I do believe the Holy Ghost is in the building here. Yes. Welcome to. <laughs> oh, I feel like we're about to like do like a church run or something. <laughs> to get up and run around this house. <laughs> yeah. The Holy Ghost is in the room. The friendship Holy Ghost. Right. Surprise. Like fire in my bones. Oh my God. We are so excited. This is our first episode of Woo! On the Phone with Friends. Yes. A podcast that discusses and witnesses black women's friendship. Woo! I just, I still feel it. And, <laughs> <laughs> and how we build our lives with and through them. I'm Melanie. And I am so excited to be on this line with my good old bestie. Um, to welcome you to our world of Black women's friendships, how they have caught me, blessed me, helped me, and guided me through life. I'm a writer and an educator and somebody's really dope mama. And I am New Orleans born and Mississippi rooted. And I'm Natalie. I'm a dynamo table flipping Christian. Do not try me. She Ooh. loves romance novels, science and technology, social justice, and finding that sweet balance through taking naps whenever possible. I was born in Ohio, raised in Mississippi, and currently reside in the peach state of Georgia. All right. Are y'all the peach state? I don't know why I thought Atlanta was the peach city, but it's the peach state. Oh, yeah. There's every street's got a peach name in it. Okay. And that lets me know the failings of my social studies teacher. Like, yeah, y'all are the peach state. Maybe I'm just having a moment. But yeah, all of these things definitely intersect in some of our conversations. And I will say how this podcast was, was born. Like, it was just one day I was having a really intellectual conversation with Natalie and another friend that you'll be hearing on another episode. Uh, and I was like, we are just so nuanced. Like we can go from philosophy and theory to black rage and Everything. rhetoric. And, you know, we're all highly educated mm -hmm. uh, with master's degrees. Some of us with PhDs, we have a scientist in our midst <laughs> who yes. works for the federal government yes. that we also think is an assassin. Yeah, um, they are. We can't talk about it or we have to kill you. <laughs> exactly. So whenever some shit goes down in the world, be like, let's call her and see exactly where she's at. Right. But because of the nuances of our conversations, I was like, are Black women having these same type of conversations in their friendships? I like to imagine they are. Yeah. And so we've seen a lot of parodies about what people think about Black women and their friendships yeah. and how they connect with one another. But I know mine have not been 
contentious and filled with violence. If anything, they have been filled with a lot of grace, a lot of love and a lot of laughter. And I hope that's what you all can get um, from our conversations with on the phone with friends. That, that's one of those things. You ever have a conversation with someone and you're thinking, I wonder if someone else is sitting somewhere having the same kind of conversation. Like we're not the only ones that are looking at the news and thinking, okay, um, they're working on something right now overseas and are about to open up another dimension. When are the aliens <laughs> going to arrive? We're not right. the only people having these conversations when things happen, when disaster strikes, when great things happen, um, when there are social movements or just a new recipe that drops on TikTok because we've all done everything we could possibly do with Feta at this point. <laughs> Someone else is having these same conversations. Right. And it's, it's so refreshing knowing that as Black women, we are not monolithic. Yeah. There's so much diversity just within the ranks of being a Black woman. And I just have to say, to me, it's just such a privilege to be a Black woman and to be able to have these conversations with my best friend and our extended network of friends. And we want to bring this to you. We want you to be able to see that there's so, I mean, you're just scratching the surface. If you really think lovely. you know what it is to be <laughs> a Black woman in a friendship. And so we, we want you to really know what it's like to be friends with us, to really, truly love and support us. And to, we just want you to enjoy this ride. I mean, yeah, but don't belittle us, condescend us or demean us in any way and thinking that you really think you know us. So. Exactly. In the words of my mama, Beatrice, I can show you better than I can tell right, you. Right, right. And we're not handing out cookout invitations over here either. We're not. No, we don't eat everybody's cooking. We mm -mm, do not. Mm -mm, no, ma'am. Yeah. All right. So let's get into it. So recently we were featured on one of our podcasting friends, her name is Mary Listed, and she is the host of What's a Podcast Between Friends. And I think it's just important for us to start out this episode with you understanding how we became friends. So instead of rehashing that conversation, we're gonna play a portion of it um, from What's a Podcast Between Friends. You wanna go first or? I figure we'll probably just talk over each other. <laughs> It kind of add right. up to the story. It's what we do. It's what we do. Um, now, I was just going to say, we met in undergrad. She, I would say Melanie has like a really great, like memory of all the stuff involved. I'm just like bullet points. Like we met on the campus of the University of Southern Mississippi. You know, we ran some organizations together. Yeah. All right. Let me fill in the gap. Okay. So we met at the University of Southern Mississippi um, in undergrad in probably somewhere in 99 or 2000, I had transferred in. And I think Natalie had probably already been there for two years, maybe a year or whatever. And I started getting involved in campus politics. So I was a member of College Democrats at first. And we had a mutual friend that was from my hometown that got me involved in the oh, NAACP. Yeah. And I started going to NAACP meetings. And that's where I met this chatty Kathy. <laughs> was a big talker in our meetings. She uh, <laughs> just talked a whole lot. And I often talk about this or I bring it up like, girl, I didn't even like, like you, but it was yeah, just Yeah, I didn't like her when I first her. met her either. Yeah, I was like. You never said that before. No, I thought you, just you said were you mean. I was mean. Yeah, but I was like, <laughs> I'm going to crack like this nut. Yeah. <laughs> There's a heart of gold under this little <laughs> defensive mechanism. But yeah, I started seeing her in the NAACP meetings and just kind of seeing her around campus. And then I started, that's where I started my therapy journey 
um, there um, at the University of Southern Mississippi because I just came from a you know traumatic background. I just really needed to deal with my stuff. And she was a student worker. Yeah, at the one of my work study jobs in the counseling center. <laughs> Yeah. So at the campus psychological services, yeah. that's what they called it. It sounded like a, a technical clinic. Like I they came it and like, like the, yeah. <laughs> put you like in like one of those straight jackets, like just from the name. I of know. It. It like a nice name. on a dolly and roll you into the next appointment, down. you know. <laughs> right. But you knew what went down there, yeah. but they had probably one of the top psychology departments in the nation, probably still. Mm-hmm. And I started going I to it. early therapy there. And I just felt like she was a secret keeper because I was like, as much as she talked, she never told anybody that I was going to therapy. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. In college. And it was a stigma. So we're talking like 2000 and people weren't really on therapy like that. Mm-hmm. And here I am like 20, 21 years old going to therapy. Vault to deal with my stuff. And, yeah. Right. And so she never told anybody on campus. And so, you know, I appreciate that about her. Yeah, for sure. That's that's a big deal. That's a really big deal. That finding that like loyalty, that like trust. That's that's a big deal. I get that. Yeah, that's awesome. I believe this is giving people just a taste of what they want to know more about at this point. So we've talked about how we actually met and became friends, but let's talk a little bit deeper. Let's let's drill this down. So when did we know that we were friends, Melanie? Ugh. I knew that you were my friend because I knew you were a secret keeper, as we heard in that um, clip there with Mary. And I had a lot of fun with you. I can definitely say being friends with you is extremely (laughs) fun and funny. Um, I know that we, yes, we do get on each other's nerves sometimes, Mm -hmm. just like all friends should. But I think we have had a lot of fun over the years, whether it's uh, with road trips, Um, When we have visited each other, I would probably say probably one of my fun memories of you is when I came to Hattiesburg at a time when you were living in those apartments that looked like Melrose Place. And yeah, it was homecoming weekend at our alma mater, (laughs) University of Southern Mississippi, to the top, to the top. top. And uh, yeah, we're very proud alumni. Um, Shout out to President Joe Paul. Um, I know this means nothing to nobody, right? Uh, But proud alumni. You know, you know. Right. Yeah. Proud alumni. Um, But came that weekend and I think that was like our first like sleepover. I don't think we had ever like spent the night with each other. And I spent the night at your apartment. And I just remember you were in the other room and I was in the living room and we were supposed to be going to sleep, but we kept talking until like one o'clock in the morning. So I'm just like, we're talking across the rooms, but it was just like an adult sleepover. And so it was just like, that was just really cool because I had sleepovers a lot growing up as a kid. So to a- to be able to do that as an adult, it was just a lot of fun. I-, I just, I think that as adults, you should have fun like that and have sleepovers. And I, I tell you pretty often, like, or even when I'm talking about our friendship, you are a friend that if we were kids growing up together, we would have like wild fun like having a man oh, I would have been down at your house but like I'm going to Melanie's <laughs> house mom would have right. been like okay I know her okay right. she's okay. a person that like we just have big imaginations and so like we will pretend to like <laughs> go into different scenarios and stuff she's a friend that I can truly play with even as grown-ass women so that's when I knew that we could be friends oh my goodness I know right 
Right. And I'm thinking about that same time during homecoming because I was going through some personal transitions and we were like, we're going to have a good time. And I think that was when I, um, I think I had the bottle of wine over my purse. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I'm just saying when you, you tailgate, you tailgate. But we, we were not thirsty the entire time we were walking around campus for that game. Um, for me, gosh, it's one of those things where you, for me personally, like, I can't say like, I knew the day, but it's just like, you know, in those Hallmark movies, they don't do these with friendship, but Hallmark, if you're listening, please do these with friendships because they do these with romances, but not friendships. But it's like, you look up and it's like, it's you. It's always been you. you know? <laughs> so it's like, this is my friend. She's always been my friend, but I did not realize it at the time. It's like, oh, we're friends, you know? But it's like, then you're really friends. It's like, this person, I vibe with them. They show up. That's a big thing for me is people who who show up, that keep their word, um, that are just flexible to kind of roll with it, but also are knowing to be serious and get down to business. And with Melanie, it's like, I feel like I can just totally be my all out weirdo self. Yeah. And I love we are, that. We are a cast of weirdos, not gonna we, lie. We are. And <laughs> she's one of those people I can hang out with. And if it's like, you know, okay, you get this offer to go on SNL, she would be the person that wouldn't be like, well, don't you have bills to pay? She knows I have bills to pay, but she would also say, girl, you're able to do SNL. Go do it. Go when do are you going to do yet? this again? Like, <laughs> live your truth. Yeah. You know? I don't um, think that makes us weird, but I think it definitely shows uh, the dynamics of our relationship, the the yin and yang, if you will. Like I wouldn't necessarily say that I'm the brave one, but I will definitely gas up my friends. Be like, go do that shit. Like, yes, like go do that. And y'all be like, yeah, whenever you're ready to go jump out of a plane, you'll go do it, Melanie. And I will invite <laughs> y'all and you'll be like, no, we're not going to go, but be safe, Melanie. So. Be safe. <laughs> Like, I'm not going to do that with you, but I will gas you up if you have an idea. Yeah, and I think this is what, this is actually going to take us into another question about, like, what makes our friendship work? Mm -hmm. You know, knowing those things about your friends and having that support, uh, you know. We love um, to eat. We do. Oh, we, my love, we love a, a good-ass meal. Like, I love that now... For your birthday, we go to Fogo de Chao every year. Let me tell you, all the Look good here. meats, the hey. good veggies. Hey. <laughs> table side service. Yes, we love going to Fogo de Chao for Natalie's birthday. So must have good meals. If anything, in order for our friendship to work, we must have the ability to eat at some point. And we to eat well. To eat well. Yeah, I mean, it could be anything from like a five daughters donut where we got to stop handing out these free sponsorships. <laughs> but if you're listening, five daughters, basically, because <laughs> I love donuts. So I think I have brought my love for donuts into every friendship. I think mm -hmm. it's weird. And I will destroy the connection if my friend does not like donuts. Like I literally ask everybody, you must love donuts. Some type of fried dough. You must love it to be in my, my space. And what is the most important meal of the day? Breakfast. Right. <laughs> Do not miss breakfast in this friendship. Must love breakfast because I will probably invite you to breakfast before dinner. If I love you, I'm going to cook breakfast for you. Definitely. I was going to say she will. She yeah. will cook for you. Otherwise, so. I'd be like, where are we going for dinner? <laughs> I, ain't I ain't cooking, but I will cook breakfast, though. But knowing uh, each other's um, love languages and food languages yeah. is, is so important. 
I think, I think another I'll... thing that oh sorry oh go ahead <laughs> I was gonna say I think another thing that that makes our friendship work too is it's understanding those things that we love and hate but also room giving each other like space and respecting each other's boundaries yeah definitely I think that's something we've learned over time um especially when it comes to boundaries, because as you heard on that episode, like I was uh, going to therapy um, when I was in college and it was still very taboo um, as black people, as black women to talk about going to therapy. And as we have grown up, so we've grown up in our twenties and our thirties and now the beginnings of our forties together, (laughs) not going to say what (laughs) forties were we at on that timeline. But um, to grow up with someone and to evolve in our own time and to work on our own shit um, in our own time has been very important, but it's also helped us understand what we allowed in our personal relationships and our professional relationships, and then how some of that can also cross into your friendships. I'm like, I don't like that when that happens, or, you know, there is a blow up over this or a misunderstanding over that. And when you really start to understand what makes people tick and understand people's origin stories, like you really talk to your friends and know what they have come out of, you can understand how they tick. And if you have compassion for that, I think compassion is another thing that makes our friendships work. Um, In the episode with Mary, you talked about grace, but, um, or, and grace and compassion go hand in hand. Um, Okay. A very special moment there. (laughs) Were you Uh, choked up or were you clearing your throat? All right. All right. Hold on. I Um, got my diet Coke over here. Do you have something to drink over there? (laughs) I've got some coffee. Okay. Let's take a sip. Here we go. Sipping with friends. Ooh. All right. What you sipping on? Uh, <laughs> also, the ability to sing. We will bust out into song. I think we allow ourselves to be silly. Yeah. We, yeah, we can get silly. Music is another one of those languages. Ooh, yeah. I don't think I could be a friend with someone who did not like music. Yeah. Even, even if you got to have at least one genre or a favorite song or just you got to enjoy music. Yeah. And we love, uh, we love a lot of different genres we're not just stuck in a genre like we love country music just as much as we love hip-hop right. um or classic the, rock right classic rock i think is probably one of our easy <laughs> go-tos because we'll play our air guitar at any given moment <laughs> and um i will travel for music um i i love music i have to be around music people i express myself musically um even with natal we have our friendship um our uh our playlist on Spotify where you did yeah. that thing where we could join together and blend your music taste together. So I do like that. It's a yeah. good way to discover some new stuff, but also be able to say, hey, I'll listen to this, check this out. Right. And realizing that we had very similar tastes in some of the same artists. So yeah. So even how you made that reference to Hallmark, like I think this is just our friendship love story. Like I think we just truly love each other. Right. We really do. And we want people to know that that exists. Like you've got your best friends and you're thinking this is my ride or die. Here's our thing. Why does it have to be one or the other? I would much rather prefer to ride than to die. We gonna (laughs) ride and live. We gonna ride and live. That's right. (laughs) Bitch, I ain't dying for you. (laughs) You've been blessed to have. For some people, it's a sibling or it's like a cousin you know, it's, you know, a friend, you get to choose your family too. You're born into family, but you get to add on and amend that family and friendships 
are are another an, another way to express that ability to be selfless and to love someone else and also to allow someone else to love you. Yeah. And I just want more people to see that. And I want more black women to see that, that your friendships don't have to, I think you mentioned that earlier, Melanie, they don't have to be like contentious and competitive. It's like, this is like a safe space. You know, that's yeah. a beautiful relationship. So, if, you know, there's, what's this song we're always busting out into? If you ever like have a song that plays in your head, I think it's like, I want to know what love is. Right. I want you to show me. So if you're sitting there and you're like, this is weird. This is not even attainable. This is unreal. This Keep is listening. vulnerability, as Big Booty Brene would say. Right. Keep listening. And we want you to experience a wonderful friendship as Black women too. It, yeah. It's it's there for everybody. Yeah. So yeah, I, I have mentioned Big Booty Brene. So we're talking about uh, the social worker, therapist, uh, vulnerability expert and researcher, Brene Brown. She is Oprah certified. Um, as you know, we are your working class Oprah and Gail. So there's going to be a lot of inflections of that. <laughs> in here my friend my good friend right here um is definitely a counselor in a lot of ways i think we have different roles in our lives but the fact that she has a master's degree in industrial psychology i have one in english literature with a focus on theory and a lot of that comes up like we will bust out with a book to really explain what our feelings are and what we're experiencing because sometimes if you don't know what the thing is that you are feeling then how can you resolve it and i think a lot of times when we see those contentious relationships or we see black women fighting and competing, don't we deal with that enough in the patriarchy and in some of the systems and institutions that we already are employed in are part of. And I'd be damned if I bring that into my friendships, you know, it doesn't make any sense to bring a lot of that violence and aggression that we get in society into our friendships. Like how will you know what love is? How will you know what vulnerability is? And I think, the necessity of being vulnerable is just so important because I'm hard everywhere else and I don't like that. <laughs> and I want to have soft life. Everybody was passing those memes right. around about soft life, but sis, do you really know what it means to be soft? And sometimes it starts in these f familial structures that we call friendships. That's where a lot of this starts because it may not be in our families. Um, right. Yeah. Next question, how do you show up for your friends? Hmm. Let's see. I have a very small group of friends that are encoded in my phone to bypass the do not disturb function. Right. First of all. <laughs> Next question. <laughs> if you can get past D&B, we good. We good. <laughs> that means I'll answer that phone at one in the morning. Cause I know that it's important. You're in, you know, not that no one else is important, but just like, you know, it, the call or the text is going to be about something. It's important to you. If you're going to be calling that time of night. Yeah. If you can get through, if you can get through the wall of defense and privacy protection, um, sometimes that that's enough, but you'll also hear in one of our upcoming conversations, um, with my friend Chandra is just really understanding what your capacity is and what your limits are. And in my conversation with Chandra, <clears throat> just understanding our capacity and limitations in showing up because sometimes we have expectations of how we want people to show up. But if we don't know how we want people to show up, then how will they know? Like we're not mind readers, just like when you're dealing with 
uh, in your intimate relationships with a dude that you may be talking to. Like he can't read your mind just like your friends can't read your mind. And so until you say what you want and how you want it, your friends really don't know how they need to show up. Just like how we say, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm doing okay. But at the mm-hmm. same time, wanting somebody to call you, wanting somebody to hold your hand through something, even though they may not even know that you're afraid or anxious or depressed or you know angry, they don't know what you're feeling. Okay, <laughs> how do you show up for your friends? I'm, I, you can't ever really ask me for money. Okay. <laughs> but I'm the same I'm way. Yeah, I'm, the but same I'm way. here. I'm yeah. here. I'm 100%. I'm here. You know what I'm saying? I'm here. You can call me. Yeah. You know what I mean? I show, I show up for my friends by just literally being available. Yeah. I remember yeah. a time because one of our questions is how do you disagree yet maintain our friendship? And mm-hmm. I remember we had a disagreement. Mm-hmm. about you needing me to be there for you. I was going through something at that time too. And I was just like, yeah, I can't be there for, but I was like, but you can come over. Yeah, <laughs> right. yeah. You can come yeah. to the house. How yeah. did we, how did we work through that? I don't, I, uh, yeah, I think we just, we just, <clears throat> I think I just came to understand that you. Cause we didn't talk for what, two years. Yeah, I, I had to years. come. Yeah, I had to. I really had to come to a place where I had to recognize that you were really dealing with something because you were going through a very life-altering experience. I was going through a divorce. Yeah, and so I had to come to realize that when you were in the crux of that thing, when this situation happened to me you just weren't able to be available. And it wasn't any, and, and like once I got on the other side of the initial, you know, shock and anger that I experienced with my home being broken into, because that's what happened. Yeah. I was able to put everything into perspective. And, you know, I had to sort through some things myself in terms of really understanding that I wasn't supposed to take that personally. You know, um, you were giving me what you could give me, but you know what I'm saying? It might not have been what I wanted at the time, but I also had to understand it. This came on the back end. And then I realized that you needed your space. That's a word right there. You can't get what you want if you don't, you don't say it. Yeah. So I think just being honest and transparent is another way to show up for your friends. It doesn't necessarily mean like who I need to bury. Like what, who do I know where the bodies are buried? That is important too. Right. You also don't want your friends to collude in any of your in any of your mess at the same time. Yeah. So I think being able to protect your friends is also key to showing up. I think some people have ideas about how we're supposed to show up. Like we got to be there financially, physically, ever present. And that's not always the case because sometimes mm-hmm. you can crowd somebody when they need to be left alone to figure out what they need. Oh, that's good. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. Being able to ask them, like, what do you need? Or just to say, I am here, but I want to give you, you know, that I want to, that goes back to those boundaries. You know, I want to respect yeah. those boundaries. So, and if I you know, am I'm here, here, yeah, if I am here, ask that person, how do you, what do you need? How do, right. you, how do you want me to support you? How can you? I like, best support you? Yeah, yeah, and I definitely, I think we both said that on the phone call before, but that took time. That took us working on our own stuff, going to therapy, reading yes. a lot. We definitely read a lot. 
And so it's just like to get to a point in our friendship, be like, well, how do you want me to support you? Mm-hmm. And you hand the responsibility of how you want that person to show up back to that person. I can't yeah. project onto you what I think you need in that That's moment. That's true. Yeah. Cause some people might be like, well, you need a hug. No, I don't need a hug. I need a million dollars. <laughs> right. <laughs> Gosh, someone just like one billion is the yeah. other. Day. I just need a, a, million, a fraction of a that. Good place to start on something. Right. Yeah. But if you can't give me a million, can you, can you order me some Uber Eats, you know, or right? just sit here with me, you know? So let's just take one more of these questions and then we're going to switch to the next section. Um, how about you choose the last one? Ooh, I, what does it take to be a black woman's friend? Mm. Keep, it, keep it real with me. I, do, <clears throat> I like fake shit. Keep it real. Then keep it real but also keep it tactful and respectful. Cause you know, there, there are different, like, I'm not gonna say gurus. There's all these teachers and coaches out there now that feel like keeping it real means being rude and disrespectful. Or you brutally, know, brutally honest. When brutally you're- honest. Yeah. And it's like, what, there's no brutality in love. If you're really doing it from a place of love, then just be honest. But yeah, um, keeping it real is, is very important. Also, um, get to know, each black woman on a person by person basis. Um, yes, yes. We once again we're not, we're not all the same. Yeah. Yeah. So I think even to develop a friendship, I think you have to show up as your authentic self or to kind of be open enough to let people know the real self because connection is very key for me. Um, I think you have to have connection in order to establish compatibility in friendships. Um, cause sometimes you can feel it and sometimes it can grow over time, mm-hmm. but if there is no connection, I'm not going to feel the need to nurture it, water it or none of that. Right. And I think a lot of us really don't understand what connection is and what it should look like in our lives, which is why we, there are some people that go through friends like every other year in their lives and want to blame everybody, but it's like, should you be losing friends like that? Right. It's like you're the common denominator in this. Yeah. We're in such a society that has so much technology that can be used for connectedness, but we're even further disconnected. Mm-hmm. I think something that will help a person be a black woman's friend, too, is and this is coming. This is for other black people, whether you also identify and I'm, girl, that's a whole nother topic. Not <laughs> not if you feel black in your heart, but whether you are actually like from the diaspora or not, question, start with your own beliefs about what it is and your, your knowledge and education. Start with your own foundation. Like, what do I know about the black experience? What do I know about the experience for black women? And because... we're not even talking about this from someone who is outside of the culture. We're talking about within the culture. Yes. And I think having somebody rooted in that experience is going to be so important because you can understand what it means to be a Black woman in this world and some of the obstacles and systematic pressures and aggression that we face. Like, this is a Black-ass podcast. Ain't no way that we can get around... <laughs> And talk about Black women's friendships and not talk about the systems and structures and institutions that want to oppress us and silence us. Like when Black women know their power, that is a very dangerous thing. And it could be a dangerous thing and a threat to other Black women who have 
subscribe to white patriarchal systems of power. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like you want to act like a man and manage like a man, but not realizing, or you're very much aware that you are marginalizing other black women because you think you have power over them. Right. Don't be a part of the same system of oppression because the system will aid and abet you in bringing down other people in your own uh, um, identity group. And at the end of the day, when it's time for, um, for you to pay the piper, they're going to leave you hanging. You've Ooh. helped in your own demise. I mean, we can go and look at the recent January 6th situation and the, the lone black person that's been charged has a higher charge than anyone else. So well, don't his ass get to me. Honest. He do. And don't be like that in friendships with other with with black women. Do not do not throw be a black part women of under the bus. Uh-huh. Throw in black women under the bus or you know, going along with a power structure because you think your your agency and adjacency to it is going to give you power. You mm-hmm. have power just because you exist as a black woman. Right. And you mentioned that. earlier that like when black women know their power, that's the thing. Um, and I had to learn this one over the years and I'm still kind of learning. You probably um, are, are dealing with this too, because I know we've had conversations about this, Melanie. Sometimes we're just living our lives, not realizing the people around us that are already intimidated or upset. Ooh. And we're, we're not even coming into a situation to intimidate or upset anybody. We may be upsetting systems, but sometimes other people recognize your own power before you do. And the danger is that if you don't recognize your power, other people can trip you up. Ooh. And this is a word for all the Black women out Come there. On. You are powerful and other people already know it. And it may be other Black women who already recognize it. Um, you've got to find it within yourself. You may think, oh, little old me. And you start looking at your background like, I didn't come from this or I didn't come from this. It doesn't matter. You could be poor and still powerful. And somebody who has all the riches is still upset yeah. about you just for even existing. Mm-hmm. So you've got that power, you know. So if you want to be a friend of a Black woman, First, recognize that helping to recognize and build her up does not diminish you in any wise. Love that. So what have we learned about friendship in our own friendship? Friends are people who help you bring up your shit and um, they help you figure out the language to express yourself, to put it into words. Yeah, yeah. And I would definitely say uh, we've definitely gotten better um, with that. I feel like dreaming out loud, we have to get Brene Brown on the show, even though she is not a black woman, but the book that has helped me identify my emotions is her latest one, The Atlas of the Heart, to actually have an encyclopedia of emotions, um, where they originate from and how they manifest in our lives, how they can create obstacles or opportunities has been really great for me. I can open up the book and be like, okay, this is what I'm feeling right now. I thought it was this, but it really is this. And just being able to bring that knowledge into your friendships, be like, girl, what is going on with you? And, you know, being able to have that language. I think, yeah, that is definitely helpful. I would say for me, what I've learned about friendship in this friendship is that trust happens in the small moments. Um, It's not some of the big experiences or even in the big laughs that we've had, or just some of those, uh, those paramount moments or whatever that you want to call it. It's really in those small moments of like, yeah. 
how someone shows up for you by like, well, I got you this little hat that you can wear. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I bought you a bag of clothes that I thought you'd like, or, you know, I made you some tea because I know your stomach's upset. Like it, it's little stuff like that mm-hmm. where you can have trust. Yeah. I think it goes back to that, like, you look up one day and you're like, it's you. It's always been you. <laughs> you and this this Hallmark moment. It's always been you, Natalie. <laughs> look, we're ready for the Hallmark Mahogany movie. You just let us know when you're ready. Oh, my God. And, you know, and shout out to our mamas for always sending stuff because I oh know God, yeah. whenever Natalie's mom, she is always... Uh, talked about miss beatrice in wonderful ways just in case miss b is listening but (laughs) but the fact that her mom has looked out for me and my daughter um just being a single mom for the last five years and knowing that i always got a block of cheese coming from (laughs) if you know you know if you know you know i got a block of cheese in my refrigerator right now sent from miss beatrice with love you know little small moments like that (laughs) All right, so we're going to take a break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about a few things that we've been seeing in the news. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, y'all, this is Melanie. Finally, a podcast that discusses and witnesses Black women's friendships and how we build our lives with and through them. How about we be friends and keep the convo going? Follow us on the Instagrams at OTPWFriends to check out our stories and surveys and leave a comment on our post. We want to get to know you. I feel like every time I hear something about monkeypox, I change the station. I'm like, I just, I cannot, I'm, I'm not doing it. And we're to the point now where they're like, it's a second epidemic and I'm like, do we have room for another? Can we just work on what we got? Always like America want more. And we're back. So Melanie and I are about to go into our next segment um, entitled, Let Me Read You This Shit, which is our <laughs> examination of why the world makes life feel like trash. It is trash on most days. And I think just to watch the news as a Black woman we get so used to being in like a caretaking and nurturing role. And just like, you see some of the stuff that's going on where I'm like, well, how in the hell can we fix it when it's just such trash? It is. So I know that I refuse, but I know both of us tend to refuse to watch the news on television, just some Mm -hmm. of the images that we see. And I think it's just so important for us as black women to protect our peace. Mm-hmm. and to get our rest because we just don't know how we're eventually going to have to get a handle of this shit and save the world from itself always having to come <laughs> through and save the world we save the day at be, some be point be but careful how you treat black women yeah, so we love to read npr i know npr is definitely a common uh source for me for news Mm-hmm. And we love listening to news podcasts like Up First, which is NPR's, and The Daily, which is part of the New York Times. And we really are nerdy Black women. We say that with love. Yeah. <laughs> and we love to learn from one another. It's fun um, to be a nerd. It is. It is. It's hip to be square, I believe. Um, <laughs> hip to be so square. We like to learn things. <laughs> and, <laughs> and part of our friendship is having people who want to learn and evolve. And so we, whenever we learn one, each one teach one, you know, whenever we learn something new, we want to share it. We want to have those really deep discussions and sometimes not so deep discussions. Um, and I want you to just kind of 
question yourself sometimes in friendship. Like, what are you teaching your friends about the world around you? You know, near and far. There's such a large world out there and we don't want to just be stuck locally, but we want to see how what we're dealing with where we're located affects the rest of the world and how we are affected by the rest of the world. Most definitely. And I think both of us are politically involved in our own ways. And I think just because of some of the stuff that you have going on in the state of Georgia, and especially in Atlanta, which is Wakanda, apparently, you know, according to Killer Mike and T.I., who are a part of the Black delegation of the A. (laughs) (laughs) We have Black delegations across the world. I would love to get my membership um, in, in the A, but I think if I could, I would vote for Stacey Abrams just because I'm so in tune with Georgia politics because of you, you know? Mm -hmm. I do feel like it's everyone's civic duty to to register to vote if you're you're able to do so because there's so many people that, that don't have that right and a lot of people fought and died for it but also to find grassroots ways to get involved in your community. Most definitely, because voting is just one aspect of it. Mm -hmm. But there are so many others for us to show our power within this system. And really coming together is key to it. So hopefully we can understand that um, with some of the articles or some of the news pieces that we will be pulling for. Let me read you this shit. All right, so where do we start? Okay, so the first one that we're going to talk about today is about Bruce's Beach Lodge in LA County. Oh yeah, I remember this, yeah. Okay, so I'm gonna give you a little background on it. Um, So we've heard the term reparations thrown around in whatever form we feel like that should be. But recently in California, some land that was stolen from a black family almost a hundred years ago has recently been returned to their descendants. Shout out to them. Right. So Bruce's Beach Lodge was a black owned resort that was founded by Will um, Willa and Charles Bruce. And they operated like the early 1920s. So you're thinking that's a long time ago. Yeah, like 100 years ago. And (laughs) believe it or not, there was a time that existed where black people were not welcome to go out on the beach and let their melanin soak up the sun. And they certainly didn't have a place to go where they could be well-received and treated properly in the midst of other races. So, you know, the Bruce's did what anyone else with means, which I know made a lot of people very upset. Using legal means in a way, the city used eminent domain to take the family's land. It was a way to push black people out of that area. And that land, after it was taken, sat unused for almost 20 years before the state, before that city actually handed it over to the state of California. So fast forward some years later, the state returned that land to LA County in 1995 on the condition that the county could not transfer it. Now, during this time between like 1994, all the way up to 2017, there were actual descendants of the Bruce's who were doing genealogy searches. And they came across some of this land information and they were planning a Juneteenth celebration on that land. And in that process, this is around the time um, of what's going on in 2020 with George Floyd's murder. And this really prompted them to say, you know what, we need to have a celebration here on this land for Juneteenth. We need to get some other people together. And it started raising questions of who really owns this land? Where should this land belong? And um, how do we get the best use out of this land? So through some digging, getting a lawyer to represent them, they brought it before the city there and the city started reviewing their lawsuit. 
in the end, the Los Angeles Board of Supervisors passed um, SB 796, and they returned two parcels of land back to the Bruce family. So I want to read you a direct quote, because this is really spelling out how important this is. After the Bruce's receive the deed to this land, they will lease the property back to the county for $413,000 annually for two years, according to an agreement the supervisors okayed recently. Once that lease is up, the family will have the option to sell the property back to the county for $20 million. The county will transfer the land to the Bruce's without any restrictions on its use. Manhattan Beach, though, still has the power to change zoning laws for what kinds of properties can operate in this coastal area. So you're thinking, this is a large amount of money. What this equates to is wealth, generational wealth and wealth that the Bruce's family was denied for the past 90 to 100 years yeah. because of how these laws were structured to push Black people off their land. And not just Black people, but Indigenous people. Yeah, I think there's just always a history of that, whether it is, you know, land that is owned by family or even, you know, public lands that Black people should have rights to mm -hmm. um, just because they are citizens and taxpayers to that place. But, you know, there's been a history of that where, you know, public beaches or lands that are adjacent to these really scenic areas have been taken because of the need for profit. Um, and so there's always been some way to kind of circumvent that. Um, it even makes me think about, you know, other places where, you know, Black folks had beaches like uh, Oak Bluffs there in uh, Martha's Vineyard, mm -hmm. or even some of the protests that happened on Mississippi Gulf Coast um, there in Biloxi, where they had the, the wade-ins, you know, back in the 60s. I want to say the first one was in 1959, you know, because some people don't even realize that Mississippi has beaches, but I need you to go talk to your geography teacher and how they failed you. Thank you. A whole right, coast but, of it. Right. But I grew up near the coast. And we would go to the beach pretty often. And we went to this beach, which was, uh, it was called, well, it was part of Buccaneer State Park. But there was a portion of that beach that only Black folks went to. And I was born in the late 70s. So just the fact that we were still part of a segregated system there on the Gulf Coast where Black families still went to enjoy the beaches. But, you know, over time, you know, um, it, it became more integrated, but that was a part of my experience being a kid in the 80s and the 90s and going to a segregated portion of the beach. But I think it just became part of our tradition to be a part of that. Um, and I want to say that there's even a fight to restore the beaches um, they're in New Orleans that are part of Pontchartrain Park. You know, there are just so many public spaces that we've been excluded from um, that were a part of Black communities and Black families. But yeah, you can just do a Google search pretty much, right? If I can add on to that, something I've noticed too is um, as a person who's grown up in the country, and if you've grown up in the country or deep in the country, there's a different experience you get than if you were raised primarily in a city. And Black people have been very connected to the land Most for, for a long time. And, and the water, just all the natural resources, really. All those natural resources. And a, 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 one of the, I mean, there's so many problems with, with racism and segregation and all of these systems that are in place. But I want Black people to know that we should have access to nature. There's something about being connected to the land, being connected yeah. to the water, and being familiar with it. And I have a, a cousin who is, they're, they're raising their little black girl. 
to be comfortable in nature, to go on hikes and do a lot of the things that I was like, oh, that's, you know, there's bugs and stuff. But you get out in nature, you start to feel this thing within yourself and this connection to the land and not just your responsibility, but your ability to protect and preserve it. And I think it's very important that Black people, Black women, because we're talking about Black women friendships, embrace nature, get back out into nature. Know that this is accessible to you like it is to everyone else. Take advantage of the national parks. If you have land in your family, get vested in that land and acquire more land. And I think that's a really great transition um, to this article about the Elaine massacre and how the descendants of that massacre are reclaiming land in Arkansas. Um, we definitely see a reverse migration where you saw Black families, Black folks moving to the North and to the East and to the Shy. And now you see those descendants coming back and moving back into these areas um, like Mississippi, which is the Blackest state in America. Y'all yes. think y'all know Mississippi, but I don't think y'all understand Mississippi like we do. Mm-hmm. And some of your greatest civil rights activists, some of your favorite creatives have roots in Mississippi. Um, so don't sleep on us because uh, y'all, now y'all moving back down here and realizing how you could be connected to the land. We built this nation uh, with our hands, our blood, sweat, and tears. And sometimes there is blood sowed into the land. Yes. Um, in this article, it comes from Civil Eats, which is one of my um, new favorite websites. Um, and there's a brother, his name is Eugene Butch Flanoff, and he is resettling the land of his descendants that were killed in the Elaine Massacre of 1919. And this was the deadliest racial massacre that left over 230 Black people dead after they began their own farmers union due to poor working and market conditions. And of course, it left white landowners and merchants out of the exchange. And, you know, they didn't want to miss out on that money. And then Black people got organized. And so here's a quote um, from that article that says that 12 black men were arrested in the wake of the white led massacre and they were sentenced to death for murder charges. Um, Because I want to say that maybe there were three white people killed, but 230 black people were killed, but no charges were brought against them. But the Elaine 12, which they became to be known, became part of a precedent setting legal case with nearly as long an impact of the massacre itself. And recently, um, I actually went down there to Helena, Arkansas, West Helena, Arkansas, um, for a distillery tour. There is a Black-owned distillery. So shout out to Delta Dirt Distillery. They make an awesome sweet potato vodka. But a portion of that tour that we te- that we took talked about um, the Elaine Massacre. And there is actually a historical site and memorial um, maybe a block away from that distillery. I had never heard of it. And just to know that there was um, that much Black history there and Black sorrow um, there was really eye-opening. But Eugene, the brother in the story, has returned to this part of Arkansas where he has access, where where he has access to 30,000 acres of land that came from his family. His family owned that prior to the massacre. So you have Black folks that are returning to the South because they have a substantial amount of land um, that they own and definitely don't sell Big Mama Nim's land. Please so can, no. Yeah, so can you imagine just having that much land to come back to? What would you do with it? There's so much wealth um, and uh, influence and power. You know, once again, we're talking about power um, within yeah. the culture with that. So what responsibility do we have to the land? And if anything, we need to restore honor to it. 
And with the third migration happening, where so many Black folks are moving back South, what does this mean for Black ownership, economic, and political power? And you're definitely starting to see that in some of the rural parts of Arkansas. Even these folks, the, um, they're at Delta Dirt Distillery. Um, this Black man, his wife, they lived all over the country um, because of his work and have done really well for themselves, but they came back to Arkansas um, because they had a huge farm, huge amounts of land um, that him and his brother have split, but they grow sweet potatoes on it and they use that and have this beautiful uh, distillery there where they make sweet potato vodka and it is it's good. <laughs> and they have a bourbon and a gin that's coming out. So can't wait to get back down there. Um, to Arkansas, but a lot is happening in terms of economic development. And I love the fact that Black people that are moving back there are making moves within the economic development of Arkansas in the Delta. You know, they're not making any more land. So <laughs> get, get that land and not making any more of it. Yeah. So uh, shout out to us that stay in the South, love the South, and we welcome you all uh, to come to the South. But, you know, when we come together, you know, as opposed to y'all come down here and think you have ideas about how things should go. Like that's where we tend to go wrong. You know, mm -hmm. I know like in Atlanta, y'all got a lot of New York folks that are moving to Atlanta. And I wonder what impact that has because Atlanta has a solid, you know, history of really mobile, educated, you know, black population. And so there's been substantial growth um, that has happened there. It's a really great city for Black people, but sometimes I see a lot of hate that comes to Atlanta, but it's like, yeah, but Atlanta kind of got it going on, though. <laughs> I mean, it's a really good it's blueprint of what is possible. Right. Not perfect at all, by it's any means. not perfect at all, but I think the history itself in terms of what Black people have done when it's come to economic power, influence, and now when you look at entertainment and media. Mm-hmm like yeah you're gonna come down here you want to come down and party then party but respect the city and help to build it up yeah. not tear it down collaboration is key not competition yes. come on, come yeah. on. look here i got it i got it <laughs> hey you're on the phone with melanie and natalie host of your new favorite podcast on the phone with friends this is a podcast where we talk with our friends and other black women we'd like to be friends with follow us on twitter at otpw friends so we can tweet together so what you about to do i do need to get a pedicure in Mm -hmm. I guess we can go and get off this phone. <laughs> no, seriously, though, I really do need to get a pedicure in. I'm like, hmm. Yeah. All right, y'all. So this was our first episode of On the Phone with Friends. Uh, I can't wait for you to take this journey, to take this ride, because we're going to ride and live. We ain't riding. Ride and live. <laughs> we ride and live on this podcast and I hope you can learn more about friendships and take some of these conversations back um, with your friends. I feel like if you're not growing with your friends, what are you really doing? Um, so what you about to do? Girl, I'm about to call my mom back. What you about to do? I think I'm about to go take me a shower. It's time for me to defer. <laughs> so what you, what you about to do for real though? I really need a pedicure. <laughs> you know what? I was looking at my nails. I really do uh yeah, especially this one. I, I kind of peeled this one off off the airplane the other day on my flight. I mean, I really need to do a load of laundry, but I'm working remote this week. So who's really going to know? <laughs>
But seriously, what are you about to do? I know I'm about to go take a shower. It just started raining. Uh, I'm gonna try not to get into trouble today. <laughs> uh. <laughs> you're not gonna, you don't sound like you're gonna try. You really don't sound like you're trying to stay out of trouble. All in here first. <laughs> <laughs> or ass backwards. <laughs> ass backwards. <laughs> See, black women can't even get off the phone. Yeah, but I think, yeah, I think I'm, that's what I'm about to do. I'm going to try to stay out of trouble. Um, but if I do, head first, ass backwards. Take this good shower, though. Well, take a shot of that potato vodka for you. <laughs> it's sitting right here. I always have an ever-present shot glass. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> right, literally. <laughs> like, there are shot glasses that are accessible to me. And, um, yeah, that's what I'm about to do, though, so... I guess what y'all about to do, right? So you can send us the email. You can tweet us at OTPWFriends on Twitter and Instagram. Let us know what you about to do. We'll even have a post that says what you about to do. Right. right? Maybe we need to do some new things. Right. So we might need that. some new things so we don't get into trouble like myself. But if you know what, if you can't be good, be careful. <laughs> Bye, y'all. Bye. Today's episode of On the Phone with Friends has been brought to you by the letter T for trouble. Keep your friends safe and your trouble closer, but away from them. This episode was brought to you by two bodacious babes who keep an ever-present shot glass or a bowl of snacks within arm's reach. Don't forget, we ride, we ride and live. We're not dying for nobody. Man.